when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So actually have a video that we would love for you to share. We had Pedro from Cross Point Espanol come last week and he made us a nice one minute uh, Instagram video, Facebook video that you could share to invite uh, your friends, your families, your coworkers, your Facebook friends and not Facebook friends, even though they call them friends, they're not all really friends, are they? Uh, but we're going to invite them to church because they need Jesus, don't they? Yes, they do. And so um, we would love for you to do that. And you'll also uh, notice on these chairs, there are these, um, this is our first ever Good Friday service as Cross Point downtown to where we are having a gathering in order to remember not only the resurrection of Christ on Easter Sunday, but that Jesus had something to do before that took place. And that was to march up Calvary and take the cross. And so we will remember the cross together on Good Friday, but on Easter Sunday, we will remember that God is not dead. He is alive. He is risen. And so we will remember the hope of Christ 
in the gospel. So utilize these. We put three on each chair uh, because who are the three people this week that you can pray for, that you could invest in in some way, and that you could hand this to them and say, would you join me on Good Friday and or Easter Sunday? Um, And uh, so we would really appreciate that you utilize these and then um, look forward to this holy week together. Uh, And today we conclude our series in the book of Acts. And before I do that, I I just want to acknowledge something. Um, And you you guys have all traveled with me in this journey over the last, since February 28th, since my dad passed away until today. And so today my mom is here from South Florida. So my mom, Lydia Walker, uh, mom, you, you are, you're precious. Yeah. Thank you for that. You're a precious woman. And uh, you have done so much for me that you, that you shouldn't have <laughs> in all my life. And mom, I've seen you uh, exhibit wonderful strength in this. And the strength I know is the strength of your fixated eyes on Christ to help you through it. Because I know that you're weak. And I know that you're in need of help and hope. But you're looking there to Jesus And mom, you continue to be a wonderful example to me as your son. So thank you. I want to pray for you. Father, I lift up my mom to you right now. And I thank you for her. I thank you for my sister who's sitting next to her. And father, we have been through so much. And it's been so hard in the loss of my dad. But God, I know that you've not left us. Because here we are before you. And I know God. Because of our hope and trust in who Jesus Christ is, that my Father is where He is. And we thank you for that. And God, as I proclaim your truth today, help me by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, the church says together, Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bible with you, um, what, what, actually, let's go ahead and sh- show that video. So go ahead, Josiah, you're good. All right. Well, you know, if Pedro was here today, we would give him a nice round of applause because he did a great job on that. And we highlight that there's two churches that meet here. Uh, One is uh, meeting and and worshiping God in English and another is worshiping God in Spanish. But we are two churches with the same heart to point our community uh, to Jesus Christ. So um, if you have your Bible with me, Acts 28, I, I want you to do this. If you've got a physical Bible with a physical page, take this last page and hold it for me. Take that last page on chapter 28 and hold it for me. So this is the last page of the first chapter of church history. Do you hear me when I say that? This is the last page of the first chapter of church history. We have the end of the story of Paul's life. We have the end of the story of what was the early church as Luke told it to us, but it's not the end of the story. We have the church that has existed for 2,000 years by the power of the Holy Spirit, and as one commentator put it, as it relates to the books of, of Acts, it's not the Acts of the Apostles, but it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through Christ Jesus. And now the work of God through the Holy Spirit, continues in his church today, and history is being written in his church. And we are a part of the pages that turn in the chapter today. We're a part of it. And so the work of God's church 
continues. And this last page of the first chapter is something that helps us live in light of the cross of Christ for our world today. January 30th, 1965, the headline in the British newspaper read, A Day of Sorrow. Winston Churchill died. Winston Churchill was known as the Bulldog of Britain. He stood against Nazi Germany. He stood against the allied axis of evil in in Tokyo. And he stood against them. And he he, he allowed the people of Great Britain to have a new confidence. A confidence that they hadn't seen before. And now their leader had died. Now it appeared to be over. Now, one of the things that took place at Winston Churchill's funeral was there was a trumpet player, a bugler. And I was a trumpet player back in high school, so I got my trumpet here, and I'm going to illustrate this for us. It, be careful, all right? You might, you might want to... Do we have earplugs? Did we hand out earplugs this morning? So, one of the things that people didn't know is that Winston Churchill, before he died, actually planned his own funeral. Justin, you might want to turn the mic off because we don't want this through the mic. Um, We're not done yet. The thing that caught people off guard, the thing that caught people off guard was on the other side of the dome. As the last note of that faded, Winston Churchill wanted another another tune to be played by the other bugler. And it went like this. It was Reveille. And as the historians wondered why, because he didn't tell anybody why, as the historians wondered why, one historian wrote this. When Winston Churchill heard the world crying to taps, he was looking forward to a new day dawning. And that's what he saw for Great Britain's future. And that's why we know him as the bulldog of Great Britain. But yet the pages were still turning for human history on Great Britain. And as we watch the note fade on the Apostle Paul here, we watch the note fade on the author Luke here, we know that the pages are still turning. And while there's only one Apostle Paul that we'll ever see in human history, the church exists still today by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we, friends, we dear friends, Carry on the tune that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And that's why we're here today. So as we unpack this passage, I want us to do so in recognizing four different things. We're going to see four things throughout the passage. I don't know why I just locked all that up. It's okay. Probably so I don't pull it out again. Um, uh, Four things. Number one, there's a purpose for the chain for the Apostle Paul. Number two, there's a heart of the message that he proclaimed. Number three, there is the condition of the hearts of the hearers. And number four, there's a life that's been poured out. Those four things, we're going to go through them starting at verse 16. And when he came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So 
Paul had now made his journey to Rome. Last week we talked about the shipwreck and the shipwreck, and he went to the island of Malta, and, and now he had, he had begun the journey to Rome, and as he got to Rome, he was transported and traveled to Rome in order to be held before a trial, ultimately before Caesar. And so he was on house arrest, and house arrest in that time meant that he actually rented his own house, He paid for his own food. He paid for his own security guard, Roman imperial security guard. And Paul was cared for in that place as he spent two years in prison in Rome awaiting trial before Caesar. And the book of Acts ends with these words. As you look at verse 30 and 31, he lived there two whole years at his own expense And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, now, as Luke, the author, is wrapping up this book, it wraps up with little fanfare. It kind of fizzles out. It's kind of like the last note of taps to where it fades to the background. But what did Luke want us to hear? What was important in his writings that was important, that is important for us today? And that's that there's a purpose behind all that Paul's going through. And why Luke didn't also track the complete death of Paul. Because as one, com- as one historian writes about this time, his name is Richard Longnecker. He says, we may believe that after Paul's release from this Roman imprisonment, he continued his evangelistic work in the eastern portion of the empire, perhaps even fulfilling his long-cherished desire to visit Spain. And in 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 18, it speaks of an approaching second trial and a tone of resignation. We may conclude that Paul was rearrested about A.D. 67 and, according to tradition, beheaded at Rome by the order of the Emperor Nero. So we know that there's more to the story. And as you see the story of the disciples, you know that each of them were martyred to their death except for one, John, the apostle, who was boiled alive in oil. It might have been better for him to face death as a martyr. But there's a purpose behind the struggle. There's a purpose behind the suffering. There's a purpose behind the story in which Paul deals with. And he gets to it right with us as we see it in verse 16. Pick it up with me there. Actually, verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the custom of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Though I had no charge to bring against my nation, for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Paul tells them, I am wearing this chain right here. I am in this place, in this time, wearing this chain for the hope of Israel. 
that Israel might see that the hope of Israel is fulfilled in Christ. And I am wearing a chain in order to make that known. And the purpose of the chain is also the purpose of the circumstance of your life today, where you're at, where God has you here in 2019, Orlando, Florida, sitting in the chairs that you're in, with a job that you have, around the neighborhood that you live in, in the, in the place where you work, with the people who are around you, there's a purpose for your situation and for your circumstances, and, is that, and that is that you might make known the hope of Israel, the work of Jesus Christ. And he speaks to this predominantly Jewish audience. In fact, it's mainly a Jewish audience. One whom he thinks might have heard rumors from the places he was at ministering and in prison in Caesarea. Why he was in jail. Why he was being held. Because he was one who dis- dishonored the temple. Who dishonored the law of God. And he says, no, actually, it's very, very different because the temple and the law and the prophets all point to this one great hope. And this one great hope is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's him whom I'm making known to you. And I'm held captive to him. It wasn't really Rome that imprisoned him, but Paul knew he was a slave to Christ. Paul knew it. Now, I want us to get out of our our worlds for a moment because we oftentimes get get so clobbered by chaos and circumstances that we lose the sight of this reality, that you are right where God wants you to be, but he wants you to be used for his purpose. You are a slave to Christ. You're a slave to Christ. You belong to him. You're a servant. He bought you with a price. Now, when I say slave to Christ, I'm using the language of Paul here. I'm using the language of Paul here because what we give our lives for is that which we say, I belong to you. If you give your life to anything other than God, you are going to be enslaved to that thing. You are going to belong to that thing. You are going to declare its praise, its glory, and its power in your life. And I will tell you this, maybe it's why you're in the chairs right now, is one day you're going to find it fleeting. One day you're going to find it worthless. And one day God's going to show you that he is worthy and you will be a happy and holy servant that says, God, I want to be be constrained by you and nothing else. And Paul is saying that I'm in these chains attached to this this Roman centurion for a reason, and that's that I might make the hope of the gospel known to you, that you, his fellow brothers, the Israelites that are there, Paul had, had this ministry philosophy that was really simple, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Why was it that way? Why did he say first to the Jew and then to the Gentile? Because the hope of Christ is written in the pages of the Old Testament. The law, Moses, the prophets, the, 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 the way that the temple is set up and the tabernacle and the holies of holies. All of those things are shadows pointing to a greater reality. Shadows pointing to the substance and the substance is Christ. And Paul says... 
I am now here so that you can hear this. And the, and the guards that were chained to him chained to him, would have this rotation and each of them would hear the, go- the gospel. And one commentator says that those guards were the most privileged in all of human history. If you want to be a guard, that's, that's the one you want to be a, a guard over, the Apostle Paul. Because you get to hear the words of the great apostle. Now, Paul, it might seem like, you know, this was kind of a fizzling out, a winding down of his ministry. But one of the powerful things that we have of this is the book of Colossians, the book of Ephesians, and the book of Philippians that was written in these time periods. And if I want to tell you something that as you read between the lines, you see the apostle growing in his sanctification as he writes more and more about Christ. Not to say that what he wrote in First and Second Corinthians and Romans wasn't good. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. But if we didn't have this time in prison from the apostle Paul, then we wouldn't have the image of the invisible God, the firstborn from all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things created by him and for him. We wouldn't have this rich Christology that is further developed by the Apostle Paul while he's in prison, held captive in that chain. But the word of God, friends, listen to me, the word of God is not bound. Where Rome was holding him in chains, the word of God, the gospel was advancing for nations and generations well beyond anything that he could ask, imagine, or think. And now we get to see it. The purpose of the chain is that God would use him where he was at. Acts 17, verse 26 through 27 says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live On all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Paul believed that not only about the people he said that to in Athens, but he believed that about himself. That he was exactly where God wanted to so that he would find God most glorious and most powerful right where he was at. So your life and your circumstances, your situation, hardship, trials, joys, rejoicing, no matter what it is, it's right where God wants you to be in your life. So that you would both seek God, find him and make him known. There's a purpose to where we're at right now. And Paul says in Philippians 1.6 that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Can can we just read that verse together? Let's do it together. Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let me summarize that for you. It means God's not done with you yet. It means that. It means he's still actively working in your life. It means that while it might feel like taps is fading away, that Reveille is saying it's just begun. And here's what's important for us to realize as we plan and plot our lives further down the line. 
is that we begin with the end in mind. We begin with the end in mind. Sometimes it feels like we can't move because everything's so foggy that we could barely see our hand in front of us. Anybody ever lived in that type of life? To where it's like, I can't plan tomorrow. I can't plan the next two hours because I can barely see my hand right now. The fog is just covering me. I've got no place to go. But when we begin with the end in mind, we see the victory of the resurrection in the empty tomb. Because I'm not pointing you to your victorious life. I'm pointing you to Christ's. And the one that is the guarantee of that truth. The reason why Paul could say that so confidently is because Jesus rose again and he's personally going to see it through at the day of Christ Jesus. So will you see some of that completed in this lifetime? Yes, you will. You certainly will. Will you see it all completed in this lifetime? No, you won't. You won't. But will you see it at the day of Christ Jesus when he comes and he splits the cedars and he with crashes of thunder and lightning and rolling up the garments of this world comes through and brings us with them held like captives set free into heaven? Will we see it then? Yes, we will. And it's going to be mighty and it's going to be glorious and it's going to be great. And we are all going to have a billion dollar view of the grand landscape of everything God done and has done and in, in, in how he's used me. A servant, a lowly servant in the midst of it for his glory and his grand purposes. Oh, I want that in my life. I want that. So I got to get out of the small stuff, these things that are so consuming me that make the world all about me. And I got to get into the big picture and say, like the Apostle Paul, I'm here for you, Lord. I'm here for you. Johnny Erickson Tata writes this. Johnny Erickson Tata, by the way, um, had a diving accident early on in her life. Uh, She had a bright life ahead of her, uh, according to everybody that would tell her anything about her life. Um, And uh, and it all seemed to be dashed by uh, a a diving accident where she took a dive and um, the water was shallow. She didn't know it. And she was paralyzed from the neck down. She, She writes this about her experience. Few of us have the luxury. It took me forever to think of it as that. To come to ground zero with God. Before the accident, my questions had always been, how will God fit into this situation? How will, he, how will he affect my dating life, my career plans, the things I enjoy? All those options were gone. It was me, just a helpless body and God. I had no other identity but God, and gradually he became enough. I became overwhelmed by the phenomenon of a personal God who created the universe living in my life. He would make me attractive and worthwhile. Maybe God's gift to me is my dependence on him. Do you hear that? Maybe God's gift to me is my dependence on him. I will never reach the place where I am self-sufficient, where God is crowded out of my life. I am aware of his grace to me at every moment. My need for help is obvious. Every day when I wake up, flat on my back, waiting for someone to come dress me. I cannot even comb my hair or blow 
my nose alone. And there's one more thing. I have hope for the future. The Bible speaks of our bodies being glorified in heaven. In high school, that was always a hazy and foreign concept. But now, I realize I will be healed. I have not been cheated out of being a complete person. And God is with me even through that. Being glorified, I know that the meaning of that now. It's the time after my death here. When I will be on my feet, dancing, dancing. Johnny Erickson Tata banks her life on that one truth. That she will have a glorified body because she depended upon Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Those things go hand in hand. You know, we often talk about heaven and hell. And heaven and hell seems to be so uh, just kind of like a hypothesis or a thesis or some kind of scientific guess. And, 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 but I want to tell you that there's a certainty in the reality of the eternal life because the certainty is of God's word that's existed. Well, really before the foundations of the world, but from Moses to the prophets and to Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul, and the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God that gives us the assurance that heaven and hell are very real places. And when we depend on Jesus Christ, we're not depending upon our work to get there, but His work and what He has done to make us whole and complete. Because otherwise, what hope would there be for Johnny Erickson Todd? What hope would there be for her? How would she ever be able to, before a holy and righteous God, say, I'm worthy of you? And it's not just her, it's me and it's you. How would we ever stand before a holy and righteous God and say, God, I deserve this. Look at my track record. Here's my resume, God. Why don't you now accept me on the basis of what I've done and what I've accomplished? And you know what God will do at that time, which he has done it before? He will say, I never knew you. I never knew you. But Johnny, myself, my father, and each of you, when we put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ, it's not about our performance, but Christ's perfect performance on our behalf. And so when we're in chains, it's not about what we've accomplished, but what Christ has accomplished and our absolute dependence upon him. Okay, number two, we're going to fly through the rest of these. There's the heart of the message, verse 23. I'm going to read it. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So the heart of the message that we proclaim in the place that God has us is the message of Jesus Christ. That's the heart of the message. There's really no other message. It's the message of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, we see they had appointed him a day and they came to him in great numbers from morning till evening. Paul could not stop telling him about this person, Jesus. Like Paul is very fluent in the language of Christ. 
He could talk about him all day long. He was fluent in who this person was and what he did and how the Old Testament pointed to him. And he knew how to tell a lot of people, not about a lot of things, but about one thing and know that one thing really, really well. And the second point when it says the heart of the message is if you want to be used in the place that God has you in a powerful way, don't waste it with another message. May the message be all about Christ. And you could tell it to him from the scriptures. You could tell it to him from your personal testimony, what he did in your life, what he did in your father's life, what he did in your friend's life, and all of those things. But you need to know that message and know it well, because that is the hope of Israel. That message is the hope of the gospel. And there is no greater message than that. And it's what saves a lost and broken world. Do you care about the people around you? Do you care about those who God has put you around? Then find a way to get that message to them. Because in that message, they will find the greatest news ever and may very well just make the most important decision ever. Last week, we talked about a young woman who came to Christ here at our church In this room, she made the most important decision ever in this place because of the hope of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And it redirected and changed her life just like it has me. And I pray just like it has you. The next part is the hearts, the heart of those whom this message goes out to. The condition of the heart. Verse 24. Paul quotes Isaiah. He says this. And some were convinced by what he said. But others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves. They departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit. Here's here's why they got all. They all left. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people, he, for these people's heart has grown dull. And with their eyes, they can barely hear. Ears, they can barely hear. And with their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. So as Paul proclaims the good news of the gospel, something happens. Something happens to everybody in the room. Either their hearts are hardened or their hearts are softened. Either their hearts are hardened or their hearts are softened. And the same thing is happening in us today. Either your hearts are, met, are hardened towards this message of Jesus Christ and you're further conflicted by it or your hearts are softened and you're comforted by it. And that is a genuine work of the Holy Spirit where he prepares, he, he tills the ground of our hearts to allow us to see, to hear and receive what he said To make the decision to follow Jesus Christ with everything that we have. 
How many of you like Chick-fil-A? Any Chick-fil-A fans in the room? So I'm going to illustrate this point. Only half of you. I'm hoping to convince the other half of you because you have hard hearts if you don't like Chick-fil-A, okay? I mean, seriously, you go into Chick-fil-A, which, by the way, is not open today. Don't even try. You can't get in the place unless you break in. And there's no chicken sandwiches being cooked right now. And so you might be able to get the ketchup tubs, which are really good. Um, uh, Ketchup tubs, for crying out loud. Is that not enough? For you to want to go to Chick-fil-A. You don't have to open the little packets. You've got a ketchup tub that you can open. And you might only need two or three versus 15. All right? So I don't get why people don't like Chick-fil-A. I mean, seriously. Have you ever had and sunk your teeth into that juicy chicken sandwich and then got a taste of the pickle? Don't take the pickle off. Eat the pickle for crying out loud. And then every single sauce, you can eat it five days a week and have a different type of chicken sandwich. Do you want the Chick-fil-A sauce, which is heavenly? I mean, that was made by an angel. And, or do you want a buffalo chicken sandwich? That's really good. Or maybe barbecue. And then those waffle fries. Oh, aren't they glorious? You just take them and you dip them into your sauce of choice and you eat it. And if it's really large, then man, you are blessed. You are living the blessed life now. It is so good. And top it all off with a sweet tea with a splash of lemonade. Don't do full on Arnold Palmer. It gets a little bit too acidity. Um, But if you have the sweet tea with a splash of lemonade, it's just goodness and it's glorious. But there's some people in this world that don't like Chick-fil-A. They have taste buds, but they cannot taste, (laughs) right? They have teeth, but they cannot chew. They have stomachs, but they never digest. (laughs) I I say this as a a lighthearted way of saying there are some that have, have tasted and seen of the work of God through the scriptures. They've lived their whole life in the church. They've lived their whole life with a knowledge of the holy and their hearts have increasingly grown hardened and they've said I reject it that is not good when the scripture says taste and see that the Lord is good taste and see one of the most frequent things that I hear in testimonies in our church Isn't this radical transformation of God taking me out of this really, really bad life and somehow changing my life through going through addiction programs or things like that? One of the most most frequent testimonies I hear are people who said, I grew up in the church, but I never heard the gospel. And somehow once I heard the gospel, I was able to read the Bible and it all became really good. I couldn't read it before or where I read it before, it didn't taste that good. But now, man... These same words that I've read before, the Holy Spirit has made known to me. And it is so, so good. I pray that for the person in here that maybe has been in the church their whole life. And realizes today that it's not the church or your attendance that saves you. It's not your good works. It is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he invites you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. May we all take refuge not in what we do, but what he has done. And then we see that the words in here, oh man, they're much better than Chick-fil-A. I promise. They're so good. And they're never ending. And we would have soft hearts to the glorious God. And then finally, there is the life that's poured out. The life that's poured out. So 
it's hard to wrap up the book of Acts without mentioning 2 Timothy. Because as Paul writes 2 Timothy, it's probably when he's been imprisoned again and he's about to be executed by Nero, who had just started a massive persecution against the early church. And now Paul, after having have made his appeal before Caesar, released, is now before Caesar, Emperor Nero again. And he knows his end is imminent. And he says this to Timothy, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Kept the faith. I want you to begin with the end in mind. And there it is right there. Keeping the faith. Keeping the faith. You know, I I often have these dreams. I I had these dreams early on in ministry, especially when I became the lead pastor here. I I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be famous. You you know what I want to do now? I just want to finish. I just want to finish. I want to finish well. I want to finish faithfully. I don't care what happens in the midst of it, except that I would be poured out like a drink offering. That I would live my life in such a way that says, I'll never have to worry about getting it back because it's used for God's purposes. And if you've ever poured a cup of water out into the soil, you know that it can't be reconstituted in that cup of water anymore, but it's been fully spent out. And at the end of my days, my no regrets are saying this. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. And I want you at the finish line. I want you there. I want the church there that God has called me to be responsible to. And this is why I pastor you with a passion and a diligence and a care. is because I want you to finish well. And that, man, if those whom God has called me to shepherd, that are by the power of the Holy Spirit walking with me, helping shepherd this church as under shepherds, under me and our elder team, then we will finish this good fight as we trust and depend upon Christ in ways we have never imagined. And so while our lives may not end with fame and fanfare, it might end with the last note and taps fading. Our lives will tell of Reveille, a new beginning. The old is gone and the new has come. And if I die It's okay because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And even should the worst happen to me, it's all about God's plan. And I just want him to use me in my life or use me in my death. It all belongs to him. C.S. Lewis says, give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you'll save it. Submit to death. Death of your ambitions, your favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing, nothing that you've ever, nothing that you have not given away will 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 be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look at yourself. And you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, and ruin and decay. 
But look for Christ and you'll find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. If you look to Christ, you already have everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So as Jesus rode on that borrowed colt into Jerusalem, it seemed to be for the disciples the climax of his ministry. The climax of, of the story of God's king going into Jerusalem and taking it by storm. But it actually began his march to the cross where Jesus himself could say these same words. I've been poured out like a drink offering. Because in the garden, there was a cup that he drank from. And the cup he drank from was the cup of God's wrath. And as he finished that cup, there was not one last drop. He drank it down to the dregs. Nothing left. And then his blood was poured out for you. And his body was broken for you. And Luke, the author of Acts, wrote these words. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that has been poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. So today he asks of you nothing except to take the bread and take the cup and receive his perfect sacrifice for your perfect forgiveness so that you can live the life that he has called you to live and so that you can walk in God's purpose by the power of the spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We ask God that you would redirect, change our lives. Father, today we don't hear taps, but reveille. We know there's a new day. And that's because we're going to come and we're going to receive the new covenant in your blood. That there is one sufficient act for all time in all history. And it's the one that you gave. It's the one that you've done. And we receive it with glad and sincere hearts. We taste and see that the Lord is good. And today we take refuge in you. In Jesus' name, amen.